This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. I'm Cynthia Graber. Many people who exercise regularly have experienced a so-called runner's high, either a feeling of euphoria after exercise or a feeling of happiness and well-being. Scientists have studied this and found that exercise does indeed improve mood and combat stress, for instance. And there has also been a demonstrated rise in endorphins, the body's own endogenous opiates, in the blood, which had been thought to be the cause. It's common to hear non-scientists refer to an endorphin rush after exercising. But researchers at Finland's University of Turku wanted to know, are endorphins being produced in and thus affecting the brain? UC Hirvonen is a neuroradiologist there and one of the study's authors. To try to answer this question, the team labeled a drug that can bind to endorphin receptors in the brain and compete with endogenous endorphins. So if the study subjects were producing endorphins in the brain, the drug binding should be reduced. 21 people took part in the study. All participated in moderate exercise for an hour, and half also participated in high-intensity interval training. At first, the researchers only intended to focus on moderate exercise. And so after the subjects completed their hour, they were asked how they felt subjectively. In general, they felt pretty good. And then their brains were scanned. We noticed when we analyzed uh, the first uh, subjects from the moderate-intensity exercise, we noted that there was actually no change in our measurement. So we didn't really see any evidence for endorphin release in the brain. And that was quite uh, unexpected. The traditional hypothesis is that when you exercise at moderate intensity, you feel good. And that's because there's increased endorphins in the brain. But we didn't exactly find that. So we thought maybe uh, it has to do with uh, the intensity of the exercise. So that's why we added the high intensity more more strenuous exercise. So you didn't find a change in endorphin uptake in the brain for the moderate exercise. That's correct. What did you find after high-intensity intervals? So after high-intensity exercise, we found significant release of endorphins in various brain regions. So we found a decrease in our radio tracer binding suggesting increased endorphin uh, levels in the brain. But what's really funny about this is that the people who completed the moderate exercise, you had them Mm self-report, and they said they were feeling good, feeling happy, feeling less stressed. Right. Whereas the people who did the high-intensity intervals were not happy. Some even threw up. Right, exactly. So the people who did the high-intensity exercise, they didn't feel good after the exercise. They actually felt horrible. Not all people could even do the five bouts of 30 seconds all-out exercise. So somebody threw up, like you you said. So it was not pleasurable. They they felt horrible. And what's even more interesting is that the people who felt the worst had actually the greatest release of endorphins in the brain. So there was a correlation between how, how bad you felt and how much endorphin release was measured in the brain. So that doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, it didn't at first, but then we thought that, you know, Endorphins are also in, uh, involved in, in modulating pain in the, in the brain. So we know that, for example, placebo analgesia is associated with increased endorphins in the brain. And if you, if you give a pain stimulus, you see pretty robustly, you see across different studies, you see activation of the opioid system. So we hypothesize that maybe endogenous endorphins are able to suppress the pain associated with a very uh, strenuous exercise. So maybe it, it's a way to uh, protect the brain or protect the body from very strenuous exercise. So it's maybe like the brain's own painkiller 
when you do the very strenuous exercise and otherwise feel bad. What does this mean for the people who report feeling happy after an hour of moderate exercise? Well, there could be other neurotransmitters that are involved in, uh, in, in the runner's high phenomenon. I remember reading a paper done in rodents that uh, the measures of uh, feeling good or euphoria in that rodent model was really dependent on cannabinoid CB1 receptors and not opioid receptors. So I'm sure there are a host of other factors involved, you know, involved in the mechanisms that, that lead to feeling good after exercise, certainly. Our, our study shows that it's not entirely tightly coupled to endogenous opioids or endorphins. It's so interesting because that's the word that everybody who isn't a scientist uses, endorphins. You're exercising, you're releasing endorphins, but you're showing that's not true. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. That's that, that was the novel finding in our study and sort of contrary to what everybody's been talking about for, for a couple of decades now. I really like the idea, though, that in the case of high-intensity exercise, endorphins are potentially related to an analgesic effect. Maybe when we have to put our body under high stress, the brain responds by kind of protecting us from feeling an unbearable amount of pain. Yes, that's, that's what we think. So uh, people who uh, felt worst had the greatest release of endorphins. So we really think that it might be protecting the brain or protecting the body from uh, feeling too bad. This study grew out of other research your lab has done, including endorphins and social touching and laughter. Could it be then that scientists shouldn't be looking at endorphins in these feel-good scenarios either? Could this exercise study have implications for brain chemistry in other situations? I would say that all these situations are unique. You know, maybe opioids play a bigger role in uh, social bonding than in physical exercise. I mean, those are different sources of euphoria and feeling good. So I would definitely say that it's not like one model fits all. In the end, we, we, we see very different results in these various paradigms. So I would continue to seek for the common denominators and also for the differences between the, these conditions. This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. To read the research paper discussed in this podcast, go to www.nature.com/npp. I'm Cynthia Graber.